Today, Fern and I are taking a deep dive into the deadlift. Coach Glassman referred to the deadlift as the healthy lift, stating, if you can't deadlift, you're going to suck at life. Okay, maybe he didn't quite put it that way, but the point is, we all need to be able to deadlift. Your grandma needs to be able to deadlift, right? She needs to be able to pick up her groceries, pick up her laundry, pick herself up off the ground. And in today's episode, we're gonna look at the deadlift and we're gonna focus primarily on how we teach the movement. You're gonna get a lot of examples of what we do both at our level one seminars when coaching there and at the box and some great tips for aspiring coaches, for box owners, and even for athletes just looking to improve this lift. It's such a foundational, such an important movement that we have to really look into it and dig into some of the nuances of it. You're gonna hear easy ways to get people in the right setup position. You're gonna hear our elevator pitch for how to coach the deadlift, as well as some great options for scaling the movement for newer athletes, injured athletes, or deconditioned athletes. I think this is one of our greatest episodes because we've taken something that's truly complex in the deadlift and kept it simple. And if you listen to the show, you know the best coaches in the world talk about keeping it simple. Keep it simple, stupid, and the deadlift is no different. If you love this episode, I just ask for a small favor. Head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. Those reviews are really what's allowing this show to grow, and we truly, truly appreciate it. All right, we're bringing it to you, this episode, all about the deadlift. Fern, what is your best deadlift ever? Ever? In my life? In your life. 505. You hit 505? Yep. I hit, uh, the first time I ever hit 500, um, just because I like talking about my previous self who was fit, was... uh, we mentioned this in a previous podcast. I don't remember what it was about, but I hit 500 for the first time ever at the 2009 regionals. It was like Rogue's first deal, like out in the out in the in the woods somewhere. Um, and then I hit 505 maybe two years ago. I was at King of Prussia. It was like during a lunchtime trainer workout. And you just worked up to a heavy deadlift. Yeah. What was the event at the regional it was a one rep deadlift man only rogue can do that because they just need so much weight this is back in the day though dude i mean like there was like i mean we were literally on the grass did you win that event uh no no not at all some guy pulled god dan bailey was there i know he pulled way over five and there was another dude who i think pulled north of six wow that's impressive yeah, that's impressive. Um, I mean, obviously the numbers keep going up, but I think there was a point in time where a four hundred pound deadlift was the standard in CrossFit. Like if if you had that, that was pretty legit. And now it's like I've seen plenty of women pull four hundred pounds. My wife, that's actually her super skill. I've, I've seen her pull, and she doesn't ever pull. But I know right now, just cold turkey probably kid hanging on to her she could pull over three yeah she's pulled 385 before that's yeah that's impressive i've seen it i had a few women that can do it at, at my boxes but i've seen it you know on different events around the world and women's 
you know, social media, all that, you see that happening. I pulled 415 once and I've never been close again. I mean, like everybody loses perspective when you think about like heavy deadlift and you're like, well, you know, Eddie Hall. And I'm just like, okay, just shut your face. If, if a person can pick up 400 pounds off the floor, you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole premise of CrossFit. I think it's sure who's like, we're all more fit than we will ever need to be. But speaking of Eddie Hall, Friday's episode is going to be Rob Kearney, the world's strongest gay. I uh, interviewed him yesterday. Really fun. I had a great time. And and then you're doing Nunu too, right? Nunu, come, Nunu, if you're listening to this episode, came out yesterday because Nunu will be out today for us. Okay. Got it. Um, and yeah, Pride Month. And, yep. and um, he's like, yeah, I got to go. I was like, what's your workout look like today? He's like, I got to work up to like some sets at 700 squat and 800 dead. I was That's like, a, oh, just a casual easy day easy day oh uh, and if you're looking for other just little gems that are coming up i did talk to andrea and her and chris are going to do it together oh sweet so, and yeah. andrea and chris smith a lot of people have asked about them yeah so uh from uh crossfit trident in alexandria so i'm stoked because i love them to death they've been doing this forever and they're both uber successful not just as affiliate owners but like still successful outside of the affiliate world like i think in that episode people's brains are going to explode with the amount of things that those two do well yeah i don't want to give too much away about chris but andrea owns coffee shops yeah misha's yep yeah so today the reason i asked you about your deadlift is because we're going to talk about the deadlift where, where do you think we begin on a topic so vast and broad coach glassman referred to the deadlift as the healthy lift I think there's a lot of things. I, I don't know that the utility of the deadlift needs to be discussed, but we could talk about the teaching of the deadlift. I'm fresh off a of level two this weekend, and so got to see plenty of people teach the deadlift, which is also, uh, which is always, um, you know, interesting. I'm sure they were all phenomenal. Um, <laughs> you know, the deadlift when you teach it at a level two is often like, all right, you know, set up, stand. Ah, that's good. That's pretty good. I'm done. <laughs> right? Did you get a lot of those? Two reps in. <laughs> I, I think it looks okay. All right. Well, let's start with the hands. Let's let's check out those hands real quick. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, just the – so, I, I think there's two conversations to be had. And I think, as always, context matters. And in general, what we would be talking about in this podcast is, is gen pop. So, just teaching the average person how to deadlift. So – uh, that being said, again, you do need to geek out in the deadlift. You need to understand the sumo deadlift. You need to understand um, some powerlifting differences and some differences when deadlifting, if you're deadlifting for Olympic weightlifting. You know, the, the differences there are subtle, <clears throat> but for the vast majority of people, they don't, you know, we, need, we don't need to touch any of that stuff. So how do you teach the deadlift? You're asking me how I teach it? So yeah. yeah. Eat I like to be flexible in any of the movements I'm going to coach, but I have a plan there, you know, so the air squat and the deadlift are two of the movements along with the press where you don't have a progression per se at your level one, but I have an idea of my progression. And I always tell the participants, and I'm sure you've said similar things. It's like, use the point of performance as your steps to get there. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I mean, obviously stance and grip, super simple. I, I like to joke. There's, 
there's, there's a few ways to establish hip width apart with your feet. Number one is kind of jump up and down. Mm-hmm. Number two, I tell people to wipe their feet. And that, that's kind of a magic one. Like, hey, wipe your shoes like you're walking into grandma's house. And everyone's like, mind blown. I can't believe it. And number three, I like to say, hey, dummy, there are your hips. Look down. You should see feet. Um, that's my favorite way of getting people. They're like, oh, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm like, are those your hips? Are those your feet? They're not underneath them. So if anybody wants just a real quick way to, to give women compliments, this is always a plus. Most, most women will set up in a stance that is outside of hip width. So anytime I see that, I'll just real quick be like, listen, I'm going to give you a compliment right now. Your hips are not that wide. So go ahead and bring your feet in. Yeah, and then, I, and then they're immediately in love with me. So I'm just like, yep, go ahead and you're welcome. Bring this feet in. I, I love that one. And then when a dude has his feet narrow in a squat, I'm like, hey, bro, your shoulders are so much wider than that. Take your exactly. feet wider. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's all about, and I think that goes a long way. Just blowing smoke up people's asses, <laughs> making them feel good about themselves. I mean, that's truly what, I mean, that's not, I was going to say, that's truly what coaching is. That's not what it is, but I mean, it, it, kind, of people, it kind of is. You got to make people feel good. Yeah. Yeah. You make them feel good. I, I mean, I love, you know, we have a woman, Sarah, who comes to the box and she's got her 15 year old, like interns, they're a great family. And I said something to her at the other day when I was coaching and she was like, you made me feel so good today. And I was like, that's cool. I don't even know what I said. You know, it had minimal to do with coaching. I probably just said, like, you look lean or you did this. It was for sure inappropriate. I know that. No, it was it. highly <laughs> inappropriate. But um, I tell people, you know, if you're a coach, this, this might be a little knowledge bomb. You can never go wrong by telling someone they look lean. Don't say skinny. Say lean. And their face will light up. It was super funny. I was walking through the airport with Austin Begeeving yesterday, and he said the same thing. Like, somebody was like, he said how offensive that is to a male if you say you look yeah. you're looking skinny. You don't say skinny. You say lean. You say lean. If somebody says, me, I look lean, I'm like, okay, I look ripped. Versus yeah. skinny, I'm like, oh, I look small. All right, okay, so we, we got to bring this back in because I don't know okay. how we're talking about this. But okay, but I do want to throw – You have a story. Let me, let me guess. You have a story. <laughs> no, I do want to have one more tangent here, and I think this will be another episode. But listeners, I want you to throw us your feedback on this. I was talking to somebody who kind of – they were talking about how their box loves these long, long pain storm workouts, like 30 minutes, you know, not necessarily a hero workout. That's brutal, but just like a long grind. Like a mashup, like a monster mash. Yeah. And I you know, remember back in the day, there were pain storms on CrossFit.com. And I said, and I think it was pretty profound, but tell me what you think. I said, regardless of how well we educate the world, that intensity is king. People will always be drawn to that long, slow, workout yeah and there's a lot of value to that right there there's a there's a mental grind that happens in both the one that is short and really really painful the pain there is amplified where you know i get through it and it's over where that longer drawn out one where obviously the intensity mathematically is much lower my mind has a lot more time to digest that and think about what's coming for you know coming at me over the next 45 minutes to an hour like that is mentally draining well and i think people just it's hard to unlearn that idea that you need to do cardio 
Well, it's also this, you know, like there, there's, defi- there's definitely a difference in the sense of accomplishment when you've done just a massive amount of work, absent of what the intensity was. When I've done a massive amount of work, I feel accomplished afterwards. And, and there's value to that. It's good. You should do that occasionally. You know, if we're going to go by the old Pat Sherwood adage, it's, you know, live your life in kip- trup- uh, couplets and triplets, go heavy once a week, go long occasionally. And that long can mean a lot of things. So let's get back to the deadlift. But I thought I was pretty smart when I said that. Um, so we get, we get our stance personally. I just get people like you, you know, we're working with PVC. I'm like, bring it to mid shin. I work from the bottom up. I, I actually used to teach it from the top down. And then I was like, yeah, this is good, but real world people need to pick it up first, you know, put it at mid shin, get everybody set there. I watch a few movements. It's PVC. No one's going to destroy their back. And really what I'm looking for are those reference points of shoulders, hips, and knees. And I tell people, regardless of your stature, like I'll, what I usually do in this scenario is find the tallest guy or gal in my group and stand next to them and be like, look, he's six foot tall, I'm five foot tall. The reference points don't really change. What that looks like is different, but the reference points need to stay the same. Correct. And what I think is what you brought up there was, and I, I'm not sure – how close everybody was paying attention. Probably, they probably weren't paying attention that close um, <laughs> because they're bored after all your stories. But uh, so what you did there was like, if we shorten that up, basically what you do is you have people put the PVC pipe with their mid shin and stand up. Does that, does that sound accurate? All right. If you're going to take my two minutes of coaching <laughs> and sum it up in eight seconds. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I said. Okay. But so this is, but this is an important teaching point and this is an error that I see very, very frequently right? So again, I know people hate it when I say this, but context matters, right? So people freak out when you tell them, just tell them to put the PVC pipe in the middle of their shin and stand up. But my, my contention with that is people overteach the deadlift. They overteach a basic human function that people inherently already know how to do. I once watched a guy who was interning at a level one, teach the hip hinge and the deadlift breakout for five minutes. And this was an intern, someone trying to get on staff. Yep, he taught it for five minutes. Great dude, right? But like, uh, so I just finally intervened. I said, I'm pretty sure they know how to do a hip hinge. I'm not saying that the hip hinge doesn't have its intricacies and all that, and it's not important. However, I can really ruin the teaching experience or the learning experience if I spend an incredible amount of time teaching people basic human function that they already know how to do, right? And if they're moving PVC pipe, nobody's throwing their back out. Let's just throw that out there. So your best bet when coaching the deadlift is just to get them moving, right? Just get them in a position that looks something like a deadlift and start moving in them from there, start your coaching. And I think we talked about this in a previous episode, the difference between teaching and coaching. Yeah, we we definitely dove into that. I think you're absolutely right. Probably one of the biggest, I think, well, it goes both ways, but really boxes these days are either not teaching enough because they're just trying to do too much and run people from, you know, workout to workout, which seems to be improving. I don't want to say it was our podcast that improved that, but I think it was a big role. And secondly, or they go way too deep and like we just spend 20 minutes, you know, on the hip hinge. I need, I haven't warmed up at all for this workout. Yeah. So, so good. Well, well for me at that point, and this goes for any movement I watch, especially when it's PVC or I should say any movement I coach. It's like, let me watch a few movements. 
You know, I, I know what I'm looking for, gen pop, like we say most people most of the time. But if people, you know, there are people that want to stand with their feet underneath their hips for a squat. And I'm like, cool, you want to show me that's where you squat? I'll let you start there. But I'm going to move you if I don't like it. But that's what I'm really doing. And same with the deadlift, just assessing. And the biggest thing I look for, you know, I'll get a few reps. I'm like, hey, all right, all I want you to think about now is contact. Just, you know, shave, paint your legs on the way up. Do the same on the way down. Because that's an easy one to, we can eliminate, we can eliminate that fall right off the bat. And then really what I'm looking for is their setup position. So I've been around the deadlift for a long time. I coached it with Rip on the road for years, you know, at the beginning of my CrossFit career. And I know a lot about it, but I can see the setup and I can see when it's wrong. And what I'm looking for in that is, I always say there's three reference points. Their shoulders, they're either too far back, they're not over the bar, their butt is too low, or their knees are too far forward. That's, that's the number, you know, those are the three things, but that's the first thing I'm looking for. And then I start to dive into that. And usually- So, you're, I, so you're looking at shoulders, hips, barbell. Those are your three data points. Yeah, knees, barbell, if you okay. will, Right, where they're, you know, and, and like we've talked about, they're really reference points. Your shoulders aren't in a bad position. They're in a bad position relative to the bar. Your hips aren't so, in a bad position. They're they're low relative to your shoulders. So that brings up an interesting point. So we're going to stick with the with the setup here because that's where you started and, and obviously where the low-hanging fruit for where you should start. But you said something interesting there, which is very similar to how I teach it, which is, um, so this comes up a lot. Well, like, hey, all right, now get your shins vertical, which is kind of a, you can put yourself in a bad position there from a coaching standpoint because depending on my on my athlete's anthropometrics, like if they're tall, vertical shins could be a horrible idea, but if they're short, it could end up being a good setup. But what you said, which is important, is I'm not necessarily looking for specific angles or anything like that. I'm looking for one body part relative to another body part. Like those are my reference point. Where should the shoulder be relative to the hips? Where should the shoulder be relative to the barbell? And then I can make my adjustments. And that removes all of the kind of extraneous information that your eyes are going to see, which is torso length, femur length, shin length, arm length, all of those things, I just need to put those three points in positions where they're appropriately placed relative to one another. Yeah, I never use the, the term vertical shins. I, it's silly because everyone's body is different. Now, do most people get relatively vertical shins if I set them up properly? Yes, but it's not like a, a hard and fast rule. And, and really, what I can tell is just whether or not there's tension in the posterior chain or not. That's what I am looking for, and that's my way of expressing it to the participants. How do you see that? Those, those three reference points. But the tension part, because if I'm coaching and you said that, I would call bullshit. So that's a good, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess the truth is I'm not seeing tension. I'm seeing if they're in the right places I can tell they're creating tension. Got it. I'll right. buy that. So I'll let you off the hook. And and I you know, so what I'll typically do is I'll take one of the participants that is super exaggerated in their deadlift setup, meaning squatty. You know, and what what's the other thing I know? What I've watched along the way is every time they stand, their bar path shoots around their knees. Mm -hmm. So that's really another reference. As they stand, it goes crazy around their knees. And then almost always, but not a hundred percent of the time, their return is the initiate. You know, so it's 
those are my reference points in the setup, but those are things now I'm reinforcing my beliefs by looking at. I pull one, one person in and I'm like, hey, you're feeling this in your quads, right? And they're like, yeah, how'd you know? And I'm like, because I've done this a few times. So then I'm like, we're going to make some adjustments and I want everyone to see this because, you know, and this is where I don't say you're all doing this. I'll say specifically, you know, Joe, Brian, Matt, you're all doing this as well. Let's look at this. And I tell them, these are the three points. You know, this is day two of a level one. They've, they've been in a breakout group. They, they've, you know, they're getting ready to coach each other in the workout. I'm like, hey, what three reference points? And that's where they go, shoulders, hips, knees. I'm like, cool. So if those are your reference points, those are the body parts we can tell them to move. And here's my experience. If you tell someone to do some, you know, shoulders forward or knees back, you will sometimes get what you're looking for but lifting your butt or lifting your hips almost always works the best. I've seen people, I say knees back and they literally just lean back. And I'm like, yeah, your knees might, or I say shoulders forward and they just go into their toes. So they're accomplishing what I'm asking, but it's not right. You know, lift your butt works. So there's an interesting, not interesting. It's interesting to me because I was literally just working with him this, this past weekend. But if you go back way back. Was this Chuck? Uh, no, it's Austin, actually. If you, uh, Austin Begeeving. If you go way back into the journal archives, and I'm pretty sure it's, it's a video. If you just, I'm pretty sure if you go deadlift level two, you can find it if you search the journal. Um, but he's talking about cueing people into the deadlift. Um, and a very valuable skill when trying to keep or get people to a good position is, um, and he described it there as using a disclaimer. So you'll see a lot of people when they, uh, when you give them a cue, multiple things will move at the same time. For instance, if I say, Hey, I want you to raise your hips, they'll just kind of stand up a little bit. So the bar is no longer appropriately placed on the shin for what a barbell would look like on the floor. So if you're trying to move people, if I'm looking at those three points, so if I'm looking at, We'll use the ones that you gave. I'm, if, I've, if I've got the shoulders, the hips, and the knees, and only one of them is out of place, I'll tell them what I want them to keep in place, and I'll tell them what I want them to move, right? So, for instance, what I'll say is leave the bar exactly where it is and raise your hips up. And we know that if I raise the hips up, the knees will pull back. But what I've done by doing that is I've only moved the body part that I want to move. Because you know this. If you do this enough times, if I have somebody to move one thing, and more often than not, uh, what will happen is they will move multiple body parts, which I don't want them to because two out of the three are where they should where they should be. I just want them to move one. So it can be very useful to tell them, keep that where it is, move this. Yeah, and, and doubling down on that. So uh, when I get them to put their body part in the right position, a lot of times because they've moved their butt, so you imagine someone kind of lifting their butt, creating that tension, if you will, in their hamstrings, their, their torso relaxed a little bit and I can see it. And then if I say chest up, their butt drops back down. Mm -hmm. So what I do, me personally, and you know, I'm, I hear this a lot on staff is Jake can get away with this, other people can't. I literally grab, it's typically a dude because I know what I'm about to do and I, want it, I don't want it to be like awkward, right? So I literally put my hands in their hip creases behind them and I'm like, this has to lock right here. Don't move this and give me your chest up. So you know, because I'm trying to prevent that. But yeah. and, and once they do that light bulb moment, they just feel their entire posterior chain light up. 
And then yeah. I leave them for a second. And I kind of, it's funny how we're basically like have a routine when we coach. Cause we, you know, we do this every weekend and I look around at the audience or not audience, I shouldn't say, but participants. And I'm like, they want to stand up right now. That's how much yeah. attention he has. And he's like, he shakes his head. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, stand. And then we dive into it further. Yeah. I'm just giving them all that kind of light bulb of, and they see it. Like they go back out there. I'm like, who's feeling their quads? Let's make that change. And then they start to, and, and here's why I spend, this isn't a lot of time, but say we coach the deadlift for 15 minutes on a, at a level one. It's probably the first five, because if I fix all of that, I'm removing a lot of the faults you would typically see beyond that. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Most of them. Yeah. And I think, a pretty good goal for most people is if you can get the setup where it should be, you're a far better position to have the movement executed correctly. You know, it, it is highly unlikely that if somebody has a, has a, a wonky setup that the movement is going to be executed appropriately. So, and the, and the good part about that from a, from a practical coaching standpoint is the setup is a static position. So you could get good at that. Like, in the next five minutes, if you just went online and started studying a bunch of pictures, like where should the shoulder be relative to the barbell and where should it be relative to the hips? And that way I can almost, and again, like you said, it's not always going to happen, but I can bare minimum mitigate the dynamic faults that are going to appear in the deadlift due to incorrect setup. Yeah. I mean, if, if you get that set up properly, it, you know, especially now, you know, now we're talking PVC, you're not going to see a whole lot of loss of midline. Bar no. path is going to be, for the most part, straighter. You may still see hips or shoulders rise differently, but even that, when you have that tension back there, is less likely. You know, so you look at the return a little bit, uh, but but for the most part, you're fixing a lot of that and you're keeping them safer. And and here's a fun fact: when I started doing that myself, my deadlift actually went down. And I tell people that my deadlift went down, but my risk of injury went down as well. Right. So when, when I've hit my best deadlifts, and I think that's part of why I've never touched 415 again, I was probably rounding my back significantly on the way up. Now, when you create that tension there and you get your body in that right position, it's harder for your body to lose your neutral spine. Not impossible, but it's, but it's a little more challenging. And because of that, you may see that load decrease a little bit, but you're significantly safer and ultimately you'll get it back up there. Yeah. So real quick. So I, so give your general strategy. If you have, yeah, give me your elevator pitch strategy for teaching the deadlift. So we got 30 seconds and somebody's like, how do you go about teaching the deadlift? How do you do it? Stance, grip, knees, chest, pull. So those are my five words I used to use with grip, with a uh, rip to remember that. And you know, depending on if you have PVC or a barbell, let's say now we're working with a, a barbell, your, your participants, your members have 95 pounds on the bar. Stance. Shoe, um, shoelaces under the barbell, right? So the knot in your shoe, and that's about midfoot. And if you stand there, your, your shin's probably an inch or two away from the bar. Hinge over, just put your hands on the bar outside of your shins. Bend your knees just till your shins come in contact with the bar, right? If we do that properly without moving the bar forward, we've probably put our butt in a good position. So stance, knees, grip, chest, now arch that chest as hard as you can and stand. Yeah. Okay. And then do you teach the down? 
you know, you know, if we get a little further in, sure, I'm going to teach the down. You know, as far as injury, you could certainly hurt yourself on the way down, but you could also drop the bar at the top, right? So not a big deal. But yeah, if I was teaching the down, it would just be, you know, sending that butt back. Don't bend your knees until the bar passes. You know, I say soft knees, but as soon as your bar passes your knees, that's when you bend and you should be right back where you are. What's your strategy for if, if you have somebody who the setup is correct, right? Or, or you're watching a coach who's dealing with an athlete where setup is correct. They've got the right positions. Everything is relative, uh, relative to where it should be. But I still see this dynamic fault of going around the knees or hips rise before shoulders or shoulders rise before hips. What do you have a specific strategy that you use in order to kind of straighten up that bar path? No, I don't have a specific strategy because I think all three, you know, those are three very different faults, although they certainly interact with one another. Um, for, for a level one, what I'll probably do is shorten the range of motion. So I go like shin to below the knee, shin to below the knee over and over again. And then what I'll tell people is kind of, you know, you should be able to look at your knees now and tell me if that bar path is going to be straight, right? If your knees are out in front, if you can't see the bar, it's got to go around your knees or you're going to change your shoulder or hip position. And then we'll go above the knee, above the knee. And then, you know, once they get above the knee, I just say, squeeze your butt. That's all you need to think about. That's funny because so again, Jay and I, which I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but we never review these beforehand. We just do most of these off the cuff. <laughs> but that, that's, so that's pretty much exactly how I would do it. So I, I would institute like a pause somewhere in there, right? So because I think there's value in people learning positions. So think about the difference between, it doesn't have to be a lot of load shit, it can just be a PVC pipe. But if I, when people just move through bad positions, they really don't get to feel what the difference is between good and bad positions. So putting them in good and bad positions, particularly in an unloaded environment like a PVC pipe, gets them to understand where their body should and should not be. So if you're doing that, where, you know, so if everybody who's not watching this uh, on YouTube can imagine this, if I have them pull from mid shin to just below the knee and stop, and let's say that their knees are really pushed forward. So at this point, you can imagine they're feeling it in their quads right? You just hold them there for 10 seconds. And then you're just going to ask him a question. You'd be like, and you can just say, do you feel this more in your quads? Or do you feel this more in your hamstrings? And across the board, everybody's going to say quads, because it's now an anterior dominant movement. And then you simply tell them, cool, this is a bad or inefficient position. Now I want you to leave the bar right where it is. And I want you to pull your knees back until you feel this less in your quads and more in your hamstrings and your butt. They'll pull the knees back, which we know is gonna raise the hips up a little bit and bring the shoulders forward of the bar, which is where it should be. And they'll stop there. And then I'll ask them, how long do you think you could stay in this position? And across the board, they're like, much longer than I could have stayed in the other position. And I'm like, cool, that's where we should be. And then I'll do the same thing on the way down, but I'll pause them in those inefficient positions because inefficient positions are energy expensive. So I'll let them stay there and I'll let them burn up a little bit to teach them where they are and get them out of those positions. Because the crazy thing about that is people will naturally gravitate to efficient positions if you hold them in bad positions long enough. So think about the muted hip and the power clean. If you pause somebody in that shitty limbo power clean catch, you know, where they're leaning backwards and their knees are pushed forward. And I'm like, cool, I need you to hang out there for 30 seconds. 
Nobody's doing that. They're naturally going to pull their hips back forward to where they're more upright. You can do the same thing in squats and deadlifts and stuff like that. And again, exercise this with caution and common sense, like do it unloaded um, and then get those people to understand so they can develop that, you know, that, kinesthetic awareness or that proprioception for where is my body in space? What should I be doing? Where do I move my hips or my knees or my hands? And then let them learn that by putting them in bad positions. That's a really good point. I love that. You know, I mean, I think it's something I'm probably doing naturally, kind of like what I said, I put them in those positions, but I like the re I've not really thought about why I was doing it. So that's really good to to think about, you know, just put them in those bad positions and you're right. Naturally, they will get in better positions if you leave them long enough. You're welcome. <laughs> and, and I want to give out another cue that I really love about all this. And I hate to credit Todd, but I think I got it from Todd. If you give them that knee forward setup, you know, that quad dominant position. And, you know, if you're look, if you're not looking, um, like create a C with your hand, like a C grip with your hand. You can use PVC as well depending on the person, kind of put it in the crook of their knee. Okay. So and I'll, and I'll tell them to push back into that. So you're giving them that tactile cue and that's, yeah. they're going to get their knees back and lift their butt up. You know, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they only lean back. But when they, when I put my hand there, sometimes even just telling them to lift their butt. So it's kind of a verbal and tactile cue. They feel that hamstring tension a little bit more. Yeah, I've seen people do that with their hand or they just say, hey, I want you to push your knees back to my hand. Or you can use a PVC pipe yeah. if you, you know, if you're feeling, if you're, if you don't want to be creepy like Jay, then use another object. <laughs> big, tell people, big yeah. take away, the big difference here is that if you guys can tell the difference between my coaching style and Jay's coaching style, the, the line in the sand is that he is creepy and I am not. It's only creepy if you make it creepy. That's fair. It's uh, interesting. Uh, I, had, I had that conversation this weekend at level two because a lot of, you know, I love the, the, when you start to force people to give tactile cues and all they use is their index finger. Oh, that's creepy. It's, they just go around tapping people. And I'm like, listen, what you're doing is creepy, man. Like, just use your hands. Like, just, just be, a, be assertive. Okay. Yeah. This, I, this finger thing is super creepy. And I don't even, I naturally do it. Like, I'll touch people. But then as soon as I get near the hip area, like, I make a fist. It's just natural yeah. to me. Like, I would never, you know, rarely I should say I don't say never but touch a you know woman in her hip area with fingers like it's always like fists and even a butt like depending on who it is it's like and I think really you know not that this is the topic of the show but when we say it's only creepy if you make it creepy your members your participants if they know you're truly trying to make them better they're, they 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 don't think of it as as creepy but so you can use a fist or use the back of your hand like they would if you if you're if you ever anybody who's ever done any sort of like law enforcement training or anything like that if you're doing like a pat down or a search you know once you get to private areas use the back of the hand so use the fist of the back of your hand uh, if that freaks you out and then it's always a good idea to just maybe tell somebody you're going to touch them instead of sneak up behind them and put your hands on their hips because then again we're now in the world of creepy yeah i mean whether you know when we're at a seminar or at the box our members our participants know what to expect but yeah if you're a newer coach or you have someone new in your facility, probably best to be like, hey, we, we put our hands out a little bit. Um, but yeah, what, so what else do we want to add on the deadlift? I mean, really, we just dove into I got one more. I okay. got one more. So this, this comes up pretty regularly. And this is specific to weightlifting. And I'm not saying this is good or bad, but how do you, how do you explain this to people? So when people say, well, I, I set up in a deadlift 
uh, for weightlifting, right? Which usually kind of insinuates that they're going to have a lower start position, right? Versus a, a traditional powerlifting setup is, again, not across the board, but generally a higher hip setup than you would find in weightlifting, right? right. So people's like, well, I start my hips really low down here because, uh, you know, because I do weightlifting. What, what do you tell people? Which is, so just for the record, this is typically described as like what you, the way it is actually done weightlifting is, is what we describe as a dynamic start for weightlifting. Yeah, so w one of the first things I tell them is, cool, when you're cleaning or snatching, it's a fraction of what you should be able to pull off the ground. So you don't need to necessarily recruit as much of your posterior chain. In addition, you need to spot something because we're going to jump, we're going to catch a barbell. So we have all of those reasons. Um, and then if they want to do that for the deadlift, what I'll, you know, depending on what the circumstance is, but if I film them, what I tell, what I show anyone is if you go on YouTube and search like big deadlifts, almost all of them, their hips stop and lock exactly where I want you to set up. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I just tell them that movement that you're going to do when your hips rise before the bar leaves the ground is your opportunity to hurt yourself. Yeah. And I, there's, and for some people, again, if you know what this is, then just, you can tune out for a minute, but a lot of people don't, right? So gen pop does not, right? So they see this kind of squatty setup in the deadlift and they see somebody pull, you know, a lot of weight off the ground really quickly. However, what I would tell you is the average CrossFitter does not execute that correctly and it, and it, everything is out of sequence. So what I would like to, what I'll usually show people is I'll get video of a weightlifter that does this, right? So like we want people to get into weightlifting, right? But I do want them to understand the mechanics of weightlifting and the subtleties and the intricacies of those differences. And that dynamic start where the hips are moving, but nothing else is moving, right? So they start in a little bit squatty setup, they start to pull the hips up. And then at the point when the bar breaks off of the floor, they are where we want them to be. Exactly, exactly. Right? So, and I think that's what people need to understand about that. And if you cannot execute that correctly, then all that means is that you are not ready for that. Like that is just an advanced technique for somebody who's a high level weightlifter who's moving gob loads of weight. So again, not bad. It's not bad at all. Like if you're trying to move a lot of weight, like you're going to see that on a very regular basis. But at the point where the bar breaks the floor, the hips, the shoulders and the barbell are where they should be. So Hips are going to be lower than the shoulders. Shoulders are going to be out in front of the bar. Yeah, and then you know, and all it takes is videoing yourself from the side to see that. But if you go on YouTube and pull up any deadlift, you'll see exactly what Fern just said. When the bar leaves, you're exactly where we want to be. So for a newer athlete, my rationale is, you know, the more your body moves before that is your ability to round your back. And if I set you up with that tension, it's tugging on your hamstrings, tugging on your back, you're knocking around, or you're less likely to. You can do anything in movement, I'm sure, but you're, you're removing the risk of injury. Okay, last thing, uh, I don't, we don't wanna, I don't wanna get, we'll save the sumo deadlift for another day. Yeah. We already talked about sumo deadlift type, scaling the deadlift, different ways to do that. For those that, um, I've got anything, I've got injuries, I've got people that have, you know, horrific mobility and can't get into you know what we would consider a safe position what do you do i think the two best scaling options would be raising the barbell so that would just be bumpers on both sides and i would find the position the 
the height of the bar where they can maintain the setup or maintain where they should be at that point in the lift. And it's basically a neutral spine. You know, when most people can't start off the ground, it's their back rounds as soon as they pull. So let's just bump that bar up a little bit and do that. And of course, we've, let's assume we've discussed load. And then the second one that I would probably do more of is a kettlebell deadlift. Because yeah. with, a, with a slightly wider stance and more, you can at that point have a squattier setup because we don't have to worry about bar path. But it, it you know, allows them to move through a fuller range of motion without the risk of injury. What about yeah. you? Uh, yeah, so the, the, the raising the bar up, so bringing the floor up to them is, is a great one. And so what's interesting about that is I think most people know that. However, I see very few people actually execute that for a workout for some reason, and I don't understand why. You know, the box I coach at, North Naples CrossFit, is very good about making people do that. And I think, I think if you look at it from a box owner perspective, I forget, I think the question this weekend was about, you know, pull-ups. I was coaching the pull-up breakout, and they were, you know, I said, look, we tell people you need to have five strict pull-ups. And I understand the implication at the box is you're going to make people that can do kipping pull-ups not do kipping pull-ups because they don't have the strength. And I was like, that's you needing to protect them from themselves. And I get it. This show is called Best Hour of Their Day. We don't want people leaving dejected, but they're going to not be able to train if they hurt themselves. Yeah, and this goes back to the episode that you did with Sean from active life, right? Like it's your responsibility to make sure that people move safely because if you hurt them, like then you suck. Yeah. And you have to find that you, tr I mean, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I have, I push people so hard. They've probably tweaked something because I was being stupid and I've also let people do too much because they were being stupid. And now, you know, wiser, you know, 10 years later, you realize even myself, I've, you know, hate to say this, but started trying to think about scaling workouts more, just feeling better. I scaled yesterday's load in a, in a, in a workout just because it's like, Hey, I need to do this forever. I want to feel good. I want to maintain intensity. And, and, and that's really what it has to be all about. And I think it's a lead by example scenario. Yeah. So, uh, the scaling options where I think it, it can be beneficial to, spend a little bit of money to get some specialty items, right? So if you, if you don't want to, like if you're trying to take care of your equipment and you don't want to stack barbells on top of other plates and the rings get knocked out and all that stuff and now they don't last that long, um, you can spend a, a, a minimal amount of money. There's some crazy stuff out there like blocks that cost way too much money in my opinion. But Rogue actually makes some pretty cool little, um, they're basically like plates that you stack on top of plates that keep the bar in place, right? So it's a flat top that has basically a rod coming out of the bottom of it. So I stack three or four 45s in there. That rod goes into the 45s and there's a plate on top of it. And now that is my floor, but it's a smooth surface rather than having to, you know, navigate that barbell through the ditches of the bar, through the ditches of the plate and where the ring is and the bar's never in the right place. Uh, they're super inexpensive. Uh, and then the other one, which I think is, uh, is an incredibly valuable tool is the hex bar. I was I actually, I was going to ask you as we were saying that, but I, what I would tell you about that first one is also, A, you can use it for probably some, you know, cleans and snatches, you know. Absolutely. But also it's going to, you're going to bang up your bumpers if you don't do that. Yeah, it's just a replacement for blocks. If you guys haven't seen it, it's a replacement for yeah. blocks. And if you probably Google or if you probably search blocks, 
on Rogue, it'll probably pop up. And they're we super probably send so much business to Rogue. Yeah, we should be sponsored. Bill and Katie Rogue. need to yeah. cut a check to best yeah. out of their day. Yeah. Um, so what were you going to say? What's your opinion on the hex bar? I think it's a fantastic tool. Like the, I think it's because you can, uh, because it does record. So for those people who can't get into good positions, right? So let's think about the shoulder in front of the barbell. Um, the hex bar is, a, is actually a different setup. So it's a little bit more squatty setup because the load is not necessarily in the frontal plane or in front of my body. It's now my hands are to the side. So it's naturally a little bit more squatty. So we can get people in safer positions to use the hex bar. And there's some interesting studies and uh, some of it is anecdotal, but with regard to sprinters that um, doing hex bar deadlifts and stuff like that um, is one of the most effective ways to increase um, maximum speed. It makes sense because it probably gives you a little more anterior, you know, dominant yeah. movement. Sprinters, you know, more anterior dominated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't use it a lot. I mean, I, I, but I tell people it's no different than anything else. I do everything. It's rare that you're going to have to deadlift an eight foot symmetrical piece of steel. Yeah. You know, but the point is you have to deadlift, you know, at one point when my grandmother was alive, her doctor was like, okay, you can't, can't pick things up off the ground. And this was prior to CrossFit. But if I, you know, knew better, I'd have been like, well, she's got to pick things up at home. She lives by herself. Like if she can't deadlift, what happens when she has to pick up her groceries, her laundry? You, yeah, you need to be able to do these movements. Yeah, and that hex bar very much, I mean, it is basically a farmer's carry, right? So when you when you bend over to pick it up, your hands are at your side, not in front of you. So um, I think we've done a great, I mean, really, when we talked about the deadlift earlier, we dove into teaching. We haven't talked about seeing or correcting, which can be a whole other episode. But I think, I think we knocked knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and for anybody who's listening to this, like, Again, we do acknowledge that there is a ton of intricacies within the deadlift, whether it's a sumo, whether you're doing this for powerlifting, whether it's a geared deadlift, like all of those things change the deadlift and how you approach it and chains and bands and all that shit. Um, again, primarily this show is targeted towards gen pop, like getting people to move, move better, move safely, have a good time doing it. Um, and for that, simple is always better. Absolutely. Great episode, Fern. Hopefully you guys liked it. If you have comments, questions, feedback, if you think Fern makes too much fun of me, let me know. No such thing. I agree. I agree with you guys, the listeners. He's so mean. <laughs> and Fern and I are going to be together this weekend, so we're going to record a couple episodes, get a couple things done. So if you have topics that you want us to discuss in person, please reach out to us, and we'd be happy to do it. All right, Fern, I'll see you on Friday. Yes, sir. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to Best Hour of Their Day and let us know what we can do to provide you 
a better experience? Do you have topics you want us to talk about? People you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.